When I was in grad school for arts administration, we learned a basic fact in our fundraising course that I have never forgotten: the number one reason people don't give money to charity is because they aren't asked. That goes not only for donations, but for raises, for project funds, or any other situation where a direct ask has to happen in order for money to change hands. Our question this episode. How do we frame a request for money so that we increase our chances of success? Welcome to episode twenty-two of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really pleased to welcome Grace Judson back to the show for a conversation about something that many of us get tied up in knots about: asking for money. That indeed is a courageous conversation. Grace Judson is a leadership coach and consultant focusing on first-line and recently promoted managers and supervisors, helping them cross that daunting gap between being part of a team and leading a team. Drawing on her 25 years of corporate experience, including 16 years of executive leadership plus 13 years of leadership coaching, Grace works with individuals, teams, and leaders to develop their skills, helping them become the empowered leaders they want to be, and their teams deserve. Be sure to stick around after the conversation, where I'll offer some closing thoughts and a call to action. Hi, Grace. Welcome back to How Can I Say This? It's a delight to be able to welcome back as a repeat guest. It is a pu- absolute delight to be back as a repeat guest. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to jump in、um, right away with a challenge that everyone faces at some point, and that is asking for money. Money is one of those loaded things, isn't it?、Um, it could be asking for a budget allocation at work. It might be around selling your products or services to a client. Or even asking for a donation to a nonprofit; those all might be different scenarios, but the dynamics are the same. And the way I see it, there are at least two different parts to the process: making the case and then making the ask. And those are the two things I wanted to focus on for our conversation. So let's start with making the case. And as an example, let's consider a professional environment where we're asking for project funding. So I suppose you know for a budget allocation, what needs to be considered as we make our case? I think what we tend to do, because money is, let's face it, it's a fraught topic for pretty much everyone. In one way or another, what we tend to do is we get so wrapped around the axle about what we want and whether or not we're going to get it, and the anxiety just sort of ratchets up around that. So we get really knotted up in our own, in our own heads, in our own sense of anxiety and worry about it. You know, are we going to get it? What happens if they say no, and so on and so forth. That we forget that when we're trying to make the case. For why we should get it, we need to think about why the other person thinks we should get it. So, if we're asking for a budget allocation, and this is something I work with a lot with、uh, HR and training and development people who are often kind of viewed as a cost center rather than as、um, somebody, you know, a, a part of the organization that brings money in, profit center. Which is another conversation that we don't need to have, but is another fraught thing. <laughs> yeah, there's so many layers to all of this. Yes, 
it's really important to make the case from the perspective of why do the people holding the purse strings who, you know, writing the check, why would they agree that you need this? So the first step clearly is you've got to get out of your own head. You've got to think very clearly about exactly what it is you're trying to do. What is it that this benefits, what benefits does it bring to the organization since we're talking about asking for budget? And how can you present this in a way that makes complete sense to the person that you're asking? That really gets into what I refer to as professional empathy. Mm -hmm. Which we talked about in our last episode, and I'll make a link to that. So I'm glad we're expanding on it. Keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Empathy is another one of those things. It's almost like money and all the different <laughs> weird things people believe about it. Mm -hmm. um, empathy is one thing when we're talking about it on the personal level. You know, you, you and I have a relationship outside of this podcast, um, for which I am grateful. We're, you know, colleagues and friends. And so we have conversations sometimes about things that are going on in our lives. And I can say, wow, that, that, that's, that's hard. You know, I, yeah. I get that. And, and I'm, I hope you keep me up to date on what's going on and so on and so forth. Professional empathy is a different thing because what it's really about is understanding the other person's position so that you can present your request, in this case, a budget allocation. But maybe it's a negotiation for a promotion. Maybe it's a negotiation to be put on a particular project team. Maybe it's a, a negotiation with a client around a project that you want, that they want you to do, but you're not sure where, you know, what their budget is and so on and so on and so on. Um, if you can understand their position even better, but at least as well as they do, then you have a tremendous amount of leverage for asking and presenting your case in a way that is going to make it essentially a no-brainer for them. Yeah. How do we get inside their head to figure that out? Like some people, it's pretty obvious, and other people, you, it's their motivations and what drives them and what their interests are aren't quite as clear. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it can be challenging, especially if you're dealing with somebody that you don't necessarily interact with all that often and you haven't had mm -hmm. that kind of a conversation with. From the standpoint of, you know, you're trying to sign a new client, if you haven't had the conversation before you present them with a project and the budget for that project, they're going down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Because you really need to understand you know, how urgent is this problem for them that you're working to solve? Are they really clear on the results that they want? That And are you really clear in presenting them something that makes those results clear and tangible for them so that they can feel it? We make decisions emotionally first. This is proven over and over and over again. So even the, you know, most geeky of engineers or the most number-oriented CFO, they may not like to think this, but they make decisions emotionally first, just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to appeal to the emotion. If it's somebody that perhaps your boss and you're going to ask for a raise or a project funding, 
what I recommend, I don't typically recommend making up stories about people because I think that can get us into big trouble. Right, right. <laughs> that would seem like the danger here. <laughs> it, well, in this case, I actually do recommend it because if you haven't got a way to specifically ask, mm -hmm. and there might be, you know, get creative about this, but sit down with a paper and pencil. And I really actually do recommend handwriting versus typing, but you can put it on your computer as well. And just literally put down on the paper, why does this person want to know about this project? Why would they be interested in funding it? And they just riff off that question. Mm -hmm. I learned this years ago from a very dear friend who calls it writing to discover. Uh -huh. And it's a great way to get into any kind of naughty problem. Um, I use it all the time when I'm developing programs. I'm like, okay, how can I present this to this person? What are the three options I can give for a proposal? Or if I'm creating a new program, what do I really want people to learn here? Yeah. But you can do it in this case. What keeps my boss up at night that this project that I want to do would solve? Mm -hmm. And just riff off that. Then you have some at least guesstimates that you can use in presenting your proposal. The other thing is if you are wanting to spend money on something, you really need to do your research and find out what not spending the money, not doing the project is going to cost because there are going to be costs. Yeah. And you need to then think about what spending that money, what is, you know, the good old return on investment. Mm -hmm. And that's not fun work. It's hard work. I actually recently put together a big spreadsheet for, again, for HR people and T&D people on the cost of failed leadership. You know, what does it cost when you actually have to replace an employee? Most people just go out and Google, okay, what does it cost to replace an employee? <laughs> they will get a number mm -hmm. and they'll use that. But if you don't do the research and dig into what actually is involved in the costs, that number just for replacing an employee is drastically lower than the actual costs when you start to really think about, okay, we have to replace this person because they failed and they've either been demoted or moved on to another rollout in a different company. Okay, great. What are all the costs that are corollary to that? Is there a productivity loss because the team was demotivated? Mm -hmm. Did somebody on the team leave because they couldn't stand how awful it was to work for that manager? So what are the costs of replacing that person? And so on and so on. It's like peeling an onion. Yeah. So when you're looking at why is this important you not only need to think about why that person currently has a problem that they're aware of that they may not be conscious that your project could solve, but also you need to bring up additional consequences of not doing what you want to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, sometimes if you think deeply enough and you do your research, you might be doing, you could see yourself as doing that supervisor or boss a favor because you're you're trying to avert something you know you're highlighting a potential problem by looking you know discovering that story and using that as part of your case so i think there's an element of this about trusting even if it's not maybe obvious to them if you've done your homework you can uh, position it in such a way that it's like wow i'm helping us to avert a crisis <laughs> you know or a problem oh yeah Absolutely. 
Because, I mean, look, if you're going to your management and saying, hey, we need to do this project, whatever it might be, I hope it's not just because you think it's a fun project to do and you really like to do it. Right, right. It's not just for the kicks. <laughs> because that means you need to start your own business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's not, and I'm, I'm being facetious there, of course, although maybe people do, but <laughs> hopefully you're thinking that this is a good thing to do because you can clearly see the benefit to the organization of doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't spell that out really clearly beyond, hey, I just think this would be a really cool thing to do and it would have some great returns. Well, okay, what are those returns? How do you quantify that in a way that makes it clear that, okay, yeah, this result is a really good thing. It is aligned strategically with where we want this organization to go. It is aligned with the organization's values and vision and mission. You know, you check off all those boxes and now you've got a project proposal that's got some legs to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the idea that often we are motivated by averting something from happening as opposed to creating something? Yes. So I'd, I'd rather solve a problem than create a new thing. How do we determine... You know, it, it, there's the aspirational versus fear, I guess, <laughs> right? And in terms of the motivation. How do we decide which angle to take? I mean, you know, because often we probably have a choice of how we frame it. We could frame it as you better do this or else it's going to fall apart or we better do this because it's going to make us look fabulous. Yes. Uh, and that's a really, really good point because, you know, again, as you know, and as any of your listeners who've heard me talk about this stuff before know, the neuroscience of all of this is fascinating. Yes. They have done studies on the reality that we are more motivated by avoiding loss than we are by achieving gain. Mm -hmm. So you need, in my view, again, my, my opinion here, but I think you need to look at it both ways. You need to present the danger, okay, and, you know, that's what I was talking about earlier, about the cost of not doing the project. The sad reality in a lot of organizations right now is that they are very motivated by short-term thinking, Yeah. especially if you're working for a publicly held company. The stock market has kind of bulldozed a lot of any sort of long-term um, mentality in many organizations' leadership, which I think is a shame. And I think, you know, that has its own set of pitfalls and some companies are beginning to realize that, which is great. Some companies had values that kept them from going down that path in the first place, which is even better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, you really need to present it from both sides. And that's where it comes back to doing the research and really thinking it through on Okay, yes, I can get an answer with a quick Google or with a quick, you know, personal thought process about what I think this is going to cost, but let's really peel that onion. Let's really think about what is the danger. And again, you can do writing to discover about that. Just put at the top of the page, what's the danger if we don't do this? Mm -hmm. And then just bullet list stuff out, um, you know, sort of, just, you know, your own little personal brainstorm session all by yourself. Uh -huh. Because if the project is worth doing, there will be a cost 
we're not doing it. Right. And if you can't come up with a cost for not doing it, then you might need to rethink the project and come up with a different angle on it, maybe maybe scrap it. Not all projects are worth doing. Mm-hmm. Do that due diligence right up front. I'll tell you what, it's more than you're just going to be more likely to get your project approved and funded by management. You're going to get a reputation as a critical thinker, a strategic thinker, and a real leader. And strategic thinking is the number one thing that senior leaders wish newly promoted managers and leaders knew how to do. Yeah. Yep. So if you can develop that skill on your own, and most organizations don't recognize that this is something that they need to be teaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you can develop that skill on your own, you are going to start to get a really good reputation within your organization. That's a great segue to my next curiosity, which is around the consider, you know, are there different considerations depending on if we're asking for funding for something that is like a tangible, clearly measurable product versus quote unquote soft skills, um, such as training or coaching, like say, I know that I need to get these strategic thinking skills and, um, and I see, you know, some sort of opportunity. How would I talk about that differently versus I need to make this widget and I want funding for it? (laughs) I think one of the nicest reframes, the coolest and most useful reframes I have heard in a long time is when somebody told me, and I have adopted this myself immediately, that we need to stop thinking about things as soft skills Mm -hmm. and start thinking about them as workplace essential skills. Nice. Yeah, because they are. I went to a number of senior executives and middle managers, as well as some of my fellow executive coaches, and I said, I had a complete expectation of what I was going to get for this for this question, but I just asked an open-ended question. What do you see as the biggest challenge for newly promoted managers and leaders? None of them gave me the answer I was expecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every one of them, however, gave me the same answer, which goes back to this thing about strategic thinking. There's a lot that goes into the need for training and support for non-technical skills. And again, you can build a case for these if you just look at some of the research around why people fail. It's typically not because they don't know how to do the technical aspects of their jobs because people get, you know, the need to train somebody, for instance, and and how to write, you know, computer code if that's their job skill. Or, you know, if you're looking at a recent hire and an admin assistant how to work with Microsoft Office. Mm -hmm. Those are obvious, but there's this weird assumption that we're just all popped out of the womb knowing how to communicate. (laughs) Right, right. Or which, you know, if you're a baby, you pretty much you start screaming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's your first (laughs) first cry for help. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't work so well when you get into, you know, the corporate world. Screaming is is frowned upon. (laughs) So... You can build a case for, you know, I, one of the research um, firms that I rely on heavily when I'm working to help clients build a case is Gallup. Yes. Gallup has years and years and years mm-hmm. <laughs> of research talking about the need for developing 
again, I'm going to stick with my personal favorite topic, leadership. Mm -hmm. But they also talk about you know, communication, strategic thinking, and so on, which are all components of how do you actually show up at work, whether you're a leader or a team member. Yeah. You know, how do you handle conflict? How do you negotiate on a personal level, which is a lot of really what we're talking about here, because how you present for the thing you want is the first step in negotiation. Yeah, definitely. So again, you've got to do the research. And, and I have talked with HR leaders who are just so discouraged by the struggle to get funding for Again, you know, try not to call it soft skills. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Workplace essentials. That's what you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That they've just given up. Yeah. Which is yeah. sad for people like you and me <laughs> who are focused on these workplace <laughs> essentials. Exactly. And, and what I appreciate is when you talked about that, look at why people fail when they don't have these skills. Mm -hmm. Again, goes to our point a few minutes ago about what is the loss? What is the danger? What is the... Yes. Um, if we can focus on that and, you know, say, and we know that, you know, like, let's say coaching, people who get coaching, they're less likely to leave. So that's mm -hmm. why they won't fail. But they also, um, you know, stay longer and are more likely to be promoted into leadership positions, which helps your leadership pipeline. So we tend to like focus on that positive side and forget necessarily that it's like, and they're less likely to do these other behaviors mm -hmm. that are deemed undesirable. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I can throw out statistics all day long, but Gallup, again, 70% of the variance in employee engagement is related to their manager. Mm -hmm. So that means that, you know, you've either got a high-performing team because you have a good manager or you've got a team that's struggling because you have a bad manager. But to stay on track with our topic, the other thing, too, in terms of looking at, at the value of the project that you're proposing is that you are building people who are then willing to continue. You know, if you just squash everybody's proposals, mm -hmm. you are ending up in a situation where nobody wants to bring forward anything new. But that also means that you need to have people who understand how to present a proposal. Yes. Which brings me to my next question. <laughs> okay. So we've done our homework, we've done our research, and we're, we've got our, our pros and cons, our dangers and benefits, and we're ready to present this. How can we say it? How can um, we say it? How can we say this? How, how do we give ourselves that best chance for success? Well, and this actually comes back to that question of getting out of our own heads and professional mm -hmm. empathy. If we are someone who really likes details and numbers and so on, we're going to write up a detailed presentation with all kinds of spreadsheets and calculations and so on. But if we're presenting that to somebody who really just wants a high level view, mm -hmm. they're not going to hear what we have to say and vice versa. If we're going in, you know, let's say we have to present this to the CFO, a chief financial officer is going to be much more interested in those spreadsheets and we might not be. So it really is a question of looking at the communication style mm -hmm. of the person to whom we need to present. And so who is it that actually holds the decision-making authority? Who is going to write the check? And how do they prefer to communicate? Are they an introvert? <laughs> yeah. 
in which case they probably want at least something in writing before you go bouncing into their office waving your arms about this great new idea that you Please, have. please, please. <laughs> <laughs> Preach it. Right. On the other hand, if you're an introvert and they're an extrovert, you better adapt if you want the best chances of success and you better push yourself to be verbal in their face. I mean, not in their face in a bad way, obviously. <laughs> right. But present. You know, be ready to do an in person conversation about it right. and push yourself to get out there. You may need to do a presentation to a multiple people, depending on the level that you're needing to appeal to and how big this project is. But you've got to understand who you're talking to. Yeah. And going back to what I said in the beginning, if we're really invested in wanting this thing, whether it's, you know, the client project that is going to make our year <laughs> mm -hmm. or the really cool project that we want to present to our boss, you've got to take a deep breath, step back from how much you want it, and think about, again, why do they want it? Why is it relevant to them? And how do they communicate best so that you know whether to do it verbally, high-level, details, written report, spreadsheets, whatever. Mm -hmm. You want the spreadsheets and whatnot to back it up. You want to be able to prove that you've done your research. But if somebody is a quick thinker, you got to go in with a quick high-level overview so that then they're interested in the details. Yeah. This is all reminding me of some advice I received early in my speaking career, which was tell the audience or share with the audience what they want to know not what you want to tell them, <laughs> um, which I really appreciate. So it's like, I can think, oh, this is such a cool fact or story or whatever angle. And, and it's like, yeah, but is it what they need and want to hear? Is it what the audience wants and needs to hear? And as you're talking about the the how can I say this part, it's the language that they want to hear it in, not necessarily, which may or may not be my language. And so if I'm going to persuade, if I'm going to have influence, then I need to at least be able to speak their language um, in order to resonate with them and meet them where they're at. Like your example of, you know, if it's the CFO, if you go in talking about how it's all going to feel to the organization, yeah. if you do this, that's probably not going to fly. But if you talk about here's the bottom line cost benefit to doing this that's going to, to be a little more effective. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, ultimately, this is a marketing job, right? Right. And we all know that we got to sell or market based on what the person perceives the problem to be, and what they want for a solution. They don't necessarily want to know how we're going to get there until they have bought off on mm. the fact that this is in fact the problem. And it is, in fact, a good outcome. Yeah. That's such a great point, because we can think we have to cover everything. And we have to tell the whole story and perhaps be ready with those answers. But when it comes to the request, as you're starting it out, don't get bogged down in those details right away. Yeah. Because you just you want to get buy in you want to, as Dale Carnegie would say, get the other person saying yes, immediately. <laughs> um, and I know that there are different schools of thought on that, because there's also start with no, get them saying no, I guess the point is, get them engaged with the idea yes. before you drown them in data. <laughs> yes. I had many, many, many years ago when I first started my own business, I took a marketing class from someone who made the point that, 
you know, people don't want to hear about the process until they're sure that the solution is what they really need. Mm-hmm. The problem has been identified and the solution is correct. The outcome that you're promising, the promise is correct. And he said, you know, you, it, you might know that you get the most fantastic results for your clients by jumping up and down on your left foot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But you're not going to tell them that because it's not relevant to them. Right. You know, we all love our process, whether we are proposing something to a boss that, you know, whether it's we need to buy this widget or we need to make this widget or we need this training for our people. We love our process because it's what gets us up in the morning. But that's not relevant to the person that we are suggesting this to. They have their own set of stuff and things that either get them up in the morning on time or way too early because they're worried about it. Mm-hmm. We have to be clued into that if we want to make a convincing proposal that is going to get them to say yes. Right. And I wouldn't want to risk their buy-in on the idea and then getting too much too quickly into the process and finding there's a disconnect and having them sort of be like, oh, this this won't work. Right. Because they have a very different vision. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the process, like you said, while we're in love with our own uh, process and ideas and way of doing things, especially when somebody else is writing the check and, and we are accountable, there's a bit of co-creation mm-hmm. that would have to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and the buy-in has to continue through the process. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think you're reminding us not to get too much into the weeds too early so that we don't alienate, turn off, um, you know, confuse or otherwise cause the other person to check out on the idea too soon. Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about professional empathy. Mm -hmm. When, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're saying what you need to say in order to present the proposal, when you're in that process of knowing how you're going to say it, you need to stay aware of how it's being received. Yes. So that you can course correct if necessary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And that would probably be another podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> there we're getting into kind of nonverbals and uh, reading the energy of someone, how they're receiving it, mm-hmm. when to push forward, when to pull back. So that'll have to be a, a follow up <laughs> conversation. Yeah. 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 So as we wrap up here, what would you say is the bottom line most important thing to remember as we create and implement a strategy to make any kind of request where particularly money is on the line? Understanding what's in it for the other person, no question. Yeah. Because if we don't understand that and we don't present what we're asking for from that perspective, we've shot ourselves in the foot right off the bat. I mean, you still might get lucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, plenty of people do. Sure. Because, you know, most people, I, I'm going to make a fairly blanket statement here. I would say that relatively few people really put in the upfront work to justify what they want from the perspective of the other person. Yeah. <laughs> really quick story because it's very funny. Years ago, I talked to a guy who trained, of all people, he trained dental hygienists dental and dental assistants in how to kind of, it was kind of a, do you want fries with that? How to, how to sell add-on right. uh, stuff. <laughs> and he had a half-day workshop on this where he kept emphasizing this what's in it for the other person message about 
15, 20 minutes before the end of the workshop, he's like, all right, well, we wrapped up with the, with the material we have to cover. We're basically done. Why should I let you go early? And he would go around the room multiple times before somebody finally got that the answer wasn't why they wanted to go early. It was why he would benefit from letting them mm. go early. Mm-hmm. Nice. And this was after spending three <laughs> or four hours teaching them this stuff. It is not instinctive. No, it is not. We, we Self-interest, right? Our, our first thought is self-interest. What's in it for me? Right. We are all selfish, little, greedy monsters. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to train ourselves out of that, yes. you know? And it, as you were saying that, I thought, I really hope somebody has written or will write a book called Do You Want Fries With That? That's all about add-on value, you mm. know, how to <laughs> how to upsell. Right. Probably somebody has. We could Google. That would be a brilliant (laughs) title. I think I need to go to Amazon and look for it. And if I find it, I'm going to include it in the show notes. Oh, excellent. Well, um, Grace, how can people learn more about you and connect with you if they want to hear more? Well, let's see. There's my website, gracejudson.com. I also just started, in fact, the first video beyond the little introductory video uh, was released today, yesterday. So the first real video is going to go out today. Uh, Sorry, I said that wrong. The intro went out yesterday. Uh, The real (laughs) first one in the series is going out today. It's called Leadership A to Z. Uh And it's um, a... I'm taking every letter of the alphabet and talking about a leadership quality that goes along with it. And yes, I did find something for X. And no, I'm not <laughs> going to tell you what it is. You have to look. Darn. All right. <laughs> Watch the X-Files. No. <laughs> right? There you go. But yeah, there's a lot of resources on my website. You can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, all the good stuff. Great, great. Well, I'll make sure that there are some links to be able to connect with you in the show notes. And um, as always, it's a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for your wisdom and uh, look forward to the next time. Thank you. It's, it's been fun as always. I love talking to you. <laughs> Thanks, Grace. Before I offer some closing thoughts in your call to action, I invite you to visit the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com for more information on how to connect with Grace and her work. From there, you can also access past episodes, leave a review, or offer feedback. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I'm lining up some really interesting guests for the coming weeks, and I can't wait to share those conversations with you. An occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form and other instructions at howcanisaythis.com. As Grace pointed out, the bottom line strategy for making a successful ask is to put yourself in the shoes of the person you're asking and speak in their terms to their interests. They need to have a darn good reason to give up something that they've worked hard for. It's important to shift your focus from how you, your project, or your cause will benefit from the money to how they will benefit. Here's your call to action. The next time you need to have a request for money conversation, make a list of pros and cons from the perspective of the giver. On the con side, consider the following. What's at stake for them? What do they stand to lose if they don't provide the funds? What's important to them that won't happen without the money? On the pro side, what do they stand to gain? 
How does saying yes appeal to their self-interest? How does it reinforce their values? We didn't have time to get into specific wording for making such a request, but I hope that we can get to that in a future episode. In the meantime, the key aspects are to do your homework, practice empathy, and put yourself in their position and in the mindset of their interests. Make sure you're talking to the decision maker and trust yourself to make the ask. The exact words aren't as important as being prepared, sincere, and willing to say them out loud. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.